So welcome to A Slice of Orange, a podcast on North Orange County politics. Uh, today, I've got Vincent Tran, who's a community engagement coordinator at Viet Rise. So welcome. Thank you, Jody. Uh, I'm really excited to just be here and then to talk Thanks. to you. Thanks. So first, what does Viet Rise do? Uh, so Viet Rise, so we're a uh, local nonprofit based in Little Saigon, so specifically in uh, Garden Grove, California. And uh, our mission is to mobilize, organize uh, working class Vietnamese community members. And also uh, we're aiming to uh, build community leadership, strengthen their power, and also um, to create systematic change. Some of the issue areas that we're working on is specifically like immigration, housing, and civic engagement. That's great. And so what do you do as a community engagement coordinator? Um, see. There's a lot of different areas um, I'm working on, I guess, because within VietRise, things tend to be very fluid, um, and then we kind of different, uh, I guess, like areas pop up, and then we'll, each staff will take on different roles, but... And specific- how big is the staff? What's what's the scope of this? Um, so currently, we have three full-time staff, um, and then we have two uh, part-time staff, and then depending on if there's, like, election season, we'll bring in additional part-time staff. Okay. Um, but technically we, we've only been around since 2018. So it's uh, okay. about three years. Yeah. Um, and, and you've been there from the beginning, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, so or- I started first as like a, a intern um, back in June of 2018. Um, okay. So uh, the organization was founded in February, 2018. And then eventually after the internship, I uh, joined as a full-time staff. Great. Um, Great. So back to what you do. Um, so there's a couple of issue areas that I'm currently working on, um, and I'm mainly leading our civic engagement uh, work. So like last year, back in 2020, there was a lot of uh, campaigning, you know, specifically around sure. the census, the election. Um, I think we ended up talking to like over 10,000 uh, wow. like Vietnamese residents. Um, I mean, so some of them like... Yeah, yeah, during the yeah. pandemic, uh, because that gets initially trick for extra credit. Because <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, initially at the beginning of the year before the pandemic, like we were going door to door during the March uh, primary. How everybody has always done the census, right? Yeah, like, yeah, that's what we do. That's what we know. Right, right, right. Wow. And then all of a sudden, you know, things start shutting down mid March, and then on we had to like figure out like, oh, what do we do now? Like can we actually call people and tell them about the census? Right. Um, And it was also going to be my first time like leading like a phone banking uh, like effort. Yeah. Uh, But somehow, some way, like it all worked out. And then for the census, I think we talked to, you know, four or 5,000 people. Okay. Um, And then, you know, once the, uh, the fall election came, like that was pretty easy in terms of like, right. You'd already had, you'd already had your trial by fire. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, that for 2020, those mainly elections. And then now as we transition to 2021, um, we're starting to do redistricting, um, right. so we're in the initial, which is going to be delayed because yes. the census at the national level is yeah. delayed. And so political scientists are a little bit worried about this. Yeah. But, yeah. But what are your thoughts about it? That I, uh, you know, we have a citizens redistricting commission in California. Um, usually the process between them coming up with their maps and the public having lots of input, that's the part that's going to get 
really, really shortened because we have to be ready for the elections in next June for the primary, which seems super fast. Thankfully, not March. It's not a presidential election. So our primary will be June. But for I, I would imagine your organization would be really, really invested in those community forums. And what's the sense from Viet Rise about what that shortened calendar is going to look like? Yeah. Um, so what I've been hearing is that uh, the census data will come out in February. Or sorry, uh, in September. Yeah. And then the uh, commission. Which I immediately think October. Yeah. Uh, and the commission they they like asked for an extension, so they. Won't yeah. be finishing it until next February. Yeah. Um, so even though that timeline is about less than six months, right. um, so yeah, it's going to be really important. So right now we've already started planning and we're uh, trying to get like just local residents involved in the process, yes. um, both locally within the county and then also um, having those conversations with the commission. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it really because right now. We're, we're kind of like all every single organization that's involved in redistricting, like it's, everything is up in the air. Because, right, right. Um, the, so most most of the times, like the people who are involved in redistricting back in say 2010 or like before then, like they probably moved on or and then absolutely, the badge. Um, absolutely. And on some like, level, that's okay because the entire world has changed, like just shifted on its axis. Where I don't know that their experiences are going to be replicated. Yeah. yeah. Right? I think we're going to have m- far more public um sessions online remote with the wonders of Zoom. I think that uh, you know just the whole world has changed, but certainly it's a loss to not have their expertise and institutional knowledge of, you know, how do you get changes to the maps? Yeah. Yeah. Um and I think it's another thing to note is like so each, I guess, like each level, there's a different process for the redistricting. Um, so, yes. like, you know, we also for like the board of supervisors, like they have their own process, right? And that's like city councils have city their council. own process. School districts have their own right, process. Right. Um, yeah. So there's all these layers, and you know, we want right. to make sure that like every single part of them, like every single uh, institution has that public hearing and allows the public to uh, yes. provide that yes. input. Um, I think for board of supervisors, you know, back in 2010, um, you know, from what I, I've been hearing or have been reading about like that process, you know, it, I think it was very much mired in uh, kind of like controversy in terms of the, yes. uh, the people that the board of supervisors picked to create the new maps. It, right. it was very much along party lines. Yeah, um, very so, partisan. Yeah. And and where those lines are drawn have a huge impact on the winners. Yeah, yeah. And so that's why we have really appreciated the California Citizens Districting Commission being citizens who are not involved in the government. Yeah. yeah not involved yeah, yeah. in partisan. You know, I, I tried, uh, I applied for that. I was almost certain I wasn't going to be chosen. Um, but it was a very long process to make sure you didn't have conflicts of interest that you, yeah. you know, weren't secretly being persuaded behind the scenes. I had to tell them, you know, where my 
my family worked, my brothers for the last 10 years, make sure that there were no um, political partisan conflicts of interest. Um, so that doesn't happen right, on the right. board of supervisors, the school boards and the city councils to the same degree. Um, so, and, and, and on some level, it's, it's hard to find people who just want to draw really good maps. It's a somewhat wonky detail oriented process. Yeah. I, I liken it to, you know, jury duty. You have absolutely no interest. That's who we want. That's we want the person who hasn't heard of the George Floyd trial. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm thinking who, <laughs> who's on that jury. Right. So yeah, um, it's, it's a complicated process, but you're right. I think it needs um, public eyes, right? It needs the community to be watching. It is. Um, and so organizations like yours, and, and what's the, what's the involvement with other organizations like yours? But, you know, I know that there are many in the community that are working um, with their own communities. Um, and so what's the involvement? Do you have meetings? Yeah. Is there um, an umbrella organization? Um, so Virize is also part of uh, this larger uh, civic engagement roundtable. So it's called uh, OSET. So it's Orange County Civic Engagement uh, Table. Uh, okay. And it's made up of just a bunch of other uh, local nonprofits. Yeah. Um, and so particularly with redistricting um, in Garden Grove, we are collaborating with um, Resilience Orange County and also um, Ocapica. Um, yes. And then, so for that part, it's just like trying to bring in the different uh, constituencies that we right. both have and the, the memberships that uh, we have into the process. And yeah. I think in order to get like just regular citizens involved in the redistricting process, like, cause it, yes, it, like you mentioned, like it's like tedious and right. so many like just data right to get involved um so we really want to make sure that and we haven't had the first meeting yet um mm -hmm. like for the sure, uh, residents sure. um it's planned in like may but what we want to get folks to uh like be experts in is to right. like how right. to look at the census data yeah um and to understand the importance that's a whole process of education right. of right. why right. this matters and the yeah. lack of representation among certain communities because of the way those lines are drawn yeah. you know yeah. every once in a while another state will help us out with the importance of it like texas drawing lines that completely eliminate any democrats and i'm like oh yeah. well yeah. that's helpful for my educational process terrible for the folks in texas but good yeah. now we yeah. can see that you know sort of example for mm -hmm. why you need to be engaged yes um and i think uh, we also want to involve like yeah people who generally don't get involved or yes. generally right. are left yes. out of the process yes. um so yeah. like you know one thing in garden grove and like westminster um yeah. there's a lot of mobile home parks and right over the past like five years there's been a lot of mobilizing has been going on yes. in those communities so right. we want to make sure that you know, they have a process or they have to say in the right. redistricting and that their like neighborhoods aren't like cut off. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, in the yeah. process. We want to make sure that they're kept in the same community and that. So if somebody wants to get involved, there are going to be lots of opportunities that we'll talk about on this show to get involved because it, it will affect, uh, you know, 
every aspect of, uh, of um, these boundaries being drawn for all of these different districts. Um, so let's pivot a little bit and talk about, um, you know, obviously with the rise in anti-Asian violence and incidents, the entire community is on heightened alert. Um, you know, people are worried about their own family members. They're worried about their communities. There's this threat. Um, what are you seeing in Garden Grove? What are you seeing in the Vietnamese population and the community? Um, I think over the past month, there has been a lot of like rallies, a lot of actions that have been going on. I think a lot of just people in general are fearful. Um, I think last year it was like being afraid of going out because of COVID. Now it's uh, afraid right. of actually getting like actual violence. Um, right. And, right. You know, it's a different threat. Right. Um, and then over the past few weeks too, like I've heard incidents like in Irvine where like, uh, like an Asian man was like beaten up at, at the park right. or like in diamond bar, like someone drove uh, into a crowd of like yeah. protesters. During a rally. Yeah. Yeah. During right. a rally. Um, so I think those, those things are really real. Um, but I think, in terms of the rallies and a lot of the actions that are being held. Um, I think a lot of it has been focused on uh, like, oh, if you, uh, you know, uh, if you like like Asian culture or if you like Asian food, you should also support uh, like the Asian community, mm-hmm. um, which I think is good in a sense that, you know, you're talking, you're trying to speak to the individual to make certain changes or certain like uh, actions in order for these like Asian violences to not occur. Yeah. But I think, um, because my, my hesitation about that is also, um, you know, it's less focused on the structural change that is needed. Right. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, one of the easy solutions, a lot of these rallies have been saying is like, Oh, we need more, uh, protection for our communities. And usually that is coded in the language, like, Oh, we need more increased, like, policing every community. Right. Sure. Um, so I think, you know, I will love with all of these rallies, I'm hoping or I'm wishing that they would focus more on like the structural issues mm-hmm. because I think anti-Asian violence that we're seeing today, it's not like, it's not a one-off thing. It's like, right. if you look throughout U.S. history, you know, it comes in ebbs and flows and right. um, you know, the current context that we're looking at, you know, might just be a result of say, you know, since 20, uh, 2008, where you know the rise of China, and then with COVID, and then uh, the past four years, a lot right. of uh, increase like uh, U.S. versus China um, tensions. Absolutely, that's completely boiled over. Um, so, I think in terms of the the structural change, I think is needed is like we got to focus on like talking about say the cultural, social, and political change that's needed. So, I think for cultural. Um, it's really about, you know, how are Asians represented in like media? And that's super easy. Like you, sure. media can change how Asians are represented right. or depicted. And then in terms of social, um, I think there's this, you know, the term like, um, Orientalism, like kind of looking at uh, right. the other, or looking at the foreign. Um, so I think, you know, really trying to change people's mindsets about uh, how we interact with each other. Like rather than, I guess like there's like these microaggressions where people, when when they ask Asian people like, Oh, where are you from? Or where are you really from? Um, And then I think in terms of the political, 
um, you know, really trying to push back against a, just the general um, anti-China or like xenophobia. Right. And, you know, not having to like increase uh, the amount of like policing that occurs in our communities. And then um, I think something that's happening locally is that uh, in like past two weeks, there was uh, the deportation of like uh, 33 right. Vietnamese uh, community members. Right. But then, you know, that is a form of like anti-Asian violence. But then there wasn't much like mention about it or a lot of these rallies, you know, never really like acknowledged that this happened. And right. this is like a structural thing that has happened yes, yes, yes. Uh, to the community. Um, and I think it, it really, you know, I think that it needs to be a, a, a two-pronged approach. So talking about, you know, what can individuals do, mm-hmm. but also what uh, structural change that we need. Right. Yeah, I think, I think that that's a good point that we need to go broader, that, you know, I think that the rallies are responding to the initial, the shock, to so many people that this is happening and particularly with the victims being, you know, elderly and, and, you know, like just clearly um, these heinous attacks, many of which are, you know, being filmed. But I think you're right that, that this moment opens up what, what we call in, you know, in, in public administration, a policy window, right. To actually fix the problems. Now we've got your attention. Great. But come with us deeper come with us to fix the problems that are actually causing these symptomatic things that you think are, are the problem. Right, right. Yeah. I really appreciate that. So um, hopefully we can do that. Hopefully we can dig a little deeper on education. And, and I think that concept that you brought up of the othering of, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, have friends who, you know, their families have been here far longer than mine. Um, and yet they are seen as the other. They are, you know, asked, where are you from? No, where are you really from? And they're like, still here, still, still right here. Um, and I think that we have to get past that. Um, and some of that is language. Some of that is learning to do better and educate ourselves about that. Um, so I know that, you know, some people are like, oh, we should be dealing with these massive things instead of the microaggressions. And it's like, well, the microaggressions are where we start. Yeah. We can, every single one of us can do better. And my children, the wonderful Gen Zers that they are, help me with that. Of you, you know, just because we've done something in the past doesn't mean we have to continue. And I think I see great hope with um, their generation um, really understanding that and educating themselves on TikTok, whatever. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, right, right. I, yeah, no, I, I think social media definitely, I mean, social media, there's a dark side, but also there's also Absolutely. You know, the other side that, you know, is very I think, compassionate. That's yeah. very, uh, yeah. I guess like progressive and also like, uh, you know, uh, inclusive. And, right. You know, I think those messages hopefully 
Right. That becomes more. It's uh, it's funny because obviously uh, this is a you know deeper conversation that, that, than that. But I had a, a friend who's a baby boomer who said like you know all this social media is just performative. They just put something on and they don't do anything. And I said right, but you put a bumper sticker on your car like ha- like that was performative too. You didn't yeah, actually yeah. do anything by putting a bumper sticker on your car. It's just another way to signal to other people. And of course we need to do more. And of course there are problems, but it's a start. Yeah. yeah. So let's, uh, let's get back with how can somebody get involved with Be at Rise? Can they volunteer? Can they intern? Can they donate? Yeah. How do they uh, get involved? Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say all three of those options is great. Um, okay. You know, depending on the year, um, you know, if it's like election year, we'll definitely have like more, say like positions for volunteers to jump on Mm -hmm. or even like paid positions for uh, callers or like canvassers. Um, But also we do have internships. Um, So currently uh, we might have some uh, fellowships that might be uh, going live in about a couple months, whether it's like a comms fellow or uh, a intellectual justice fellow. Um, So we have these different opportunities that folks can get involved. Um, or if there's like, uh, based on the issues that we're working on, so like immigration or housing, if folks have a specific interest on that, they can definitely just contact us. And then if we have like a ongoing campaign that's going on, um, we can definitely plug them in into those different areas. And do they um, have to speak and read Vietnamese? No, no. Um, I think that that's the great thing is like, uh, for a lot of second generation Vietnamese Americans who are starting to get involved in organizing, uh, sometimes like folks, you know, don't, aren't, aren't fluent in Vietnamese. Right. Um, but, you know, I think we will have like those spaces for folks to like, uh, we'll, we'll train folks. Okay. We'll, and then if you know, folks aren't comfortable speaking Vietnamese, then we can also, uh, you know, you find a different route sure. <laughs> that they can sure. take to, to organize too. Yeah. So let's talk more about you. Um, so you were active in Orange County before you transferred from Fullerton College, um, another one of my my happy alums. Um, before you transferred to Berkeley, you were really active in Orange County. And I remember having some conversations about you feeling like you were kind of going to be missing that. So what lesson would you give students who are transferring away from home? Yeah, um, yeah no, so one of the... I think, key moments was uh it's like the, the very last year at Fullerton College I remember you know you and I we went up to the Bay Area yeah the Bay Area Honors Conference yeah. Yeah, yeah um and I think I was it was either the flight there or back to to Southern California where you know I think Francisco and I was talking about like oh what what's our next move like after right. Fullerton College yeah Francisco Avalos was yeah. the same thing, really involved in Orange County, not sure about going away. We had yeah. this really great conversation about that. Um, and, and I do remember, like you said, that you know, Orange County will always be there, right? And I, I think I still remember that. And, you know, initially at that point, I was like, oh, maybe, you know, I've, I've built up all this network in Orange County, I've built up all these relationships. Um, should I really be going? Um, but I, you know, looking back now, like I, I loved it, like just being able to you know, go out of Orange County and then um, I think be being exposed to you know, different people, different ideas, um, and also getting a chance to like travel abroad to mm-hmm. um, take part in research. Um, 
that I think that was super key to like eventually when I came back to Orange County, I was able to bring all these different like you know knowledge that I was able to gain. Um, and like I'm a big like history uh, nerd, so like I always think about like oh, so like in the past, uh, say like in all these uh, different countries where you know they were fighting for like anti-colonial like campaigns right. and such. Like a lot of these leaders, they you know they they were also like very global. So like they traveled the, the globe, had all these yeah. interactions, came up with all these different ideas, came back home, and eventually you know, right. uh, free their countries. Uh, so I think uh, in terms of like just advice for folks who are planning to transfer away from home, I think definitely do it. Um, the exposure is great. And then uh, I would say like probably once you get accepted, try to move there as soon as possible. Okay, uh, I love take, that idea. Take the summer classes because I feel like yeah. it's a way to ease in. Uh, I didn't start until fall. So I think if I start in the summer, I probably things would okay. have been so much easier to transition. And you got really involved at Berkeley. Um, how, how did that happen? Were, were you trying to do that? Were you encouraged to do that? How do you, after you're really well established in one place, replicate that? How do you do that again? Um, so, I mean, I was fortunate because I already had a friend um, that was pretty involved in Berkeley. So she was able to connect me to a lot of the different organizing spaces there. Um, I mean, I initially, I, so I joined, um, so REACH. So it's like the Asian American Retention and Recruitment Center. Okay. Um, so I did work with them for about a year. And that was during that time, like I started shifting over to doing a lot more like just research. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like history research and such. So I ended up taking, I think about a two-year break uh, from just like organizing in general. And I really just focused on like uh, just doing history research and stuff. And I was able to uh, take like a graduate history course on mm-hmm. Vietnamese history and just like learning about all these different uh, parts of Vietnamese history has been like super beneficial to right. um, like Oh, nearly everything that I've learned in that class, I'm still using it in my organizing work today. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. But you got involved on campus, right? You got involved in lots of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, whether it was, um, let's see, I ended up getting involved in like the Student Journal of Asian or Asian Studies. Mm-hmm. I got involved in the like, uh, Vietnamese Student Association. Um, so eventually, yeah. So my last year, that was when I got back involved into like clubs and uh, just, like general organizing. So a lot of the stuff I ended up using in my, uh, or learning in my history class, I ended up uh, placing it into the, the club. So I ended up uh, running for this position called like academic chair. Um, and before it was like this position that was like kind of dying out. Okay. Uh, like no one would want to run for that position because basically it would be like, you would lead the tutoring sessions or like okay. the study sessions. Okay. So I basically said, like, hey, why don't we take this academic or position and say, we'll teach about Vietnamese history or we'll talk about like Vietnamese I culture and Vietnamese right. organizing. Um, and I think that really pumped in a lot of like energy to sure. that position. And like folks were like, oh, like we've never really done this. Cause I think uh, the Vietnamese Student Association up to that point was like kind of known as like, oh, it's like very like a social club. Okay. Um, and then not very like into like talking about like, 
know, political or social issues. Right. And I think uh, just being able to do that, uh, I feel like it's, that was probably one of my highlights uh, at Berkeley. Just being Absolutely. Able to, to change people's like perceptions. Yeah. Right. Reimagine it. Yeah. 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 So good. Any other advice you have for students who are transferring? Um, I would say, uh, you know, just follow your heart, (laughs) follow your heart. Uh, you know, if you can, if you're, if you have the means, um, you know, transfer away from home, um, and also just take up all the opportunities that are there, Mm -hmm. uh, try to get involved as possible. I know like just sometimes being a transfer, like, you know, you're going in as a junior right? Um, and it's harder to, I guess, like create that community. But I think if you like just dive into it uh, okay. and eventually community will, will form and eventually you'll that. all eventually you'll community will form. I love that idea. Yeah. 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 I call it finding your people. Yeah. Like yeah. As soon as you find your people, you'll be home wherever right. you are. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So let's talk a little bit more about Orange County politics. So we've seen, and, and, you know, I had um, this forum on uh, uh, stopping Asian hate and like, I just had so many elected officials who are Asian American to choose from, which would not have been true, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So we've seen a big increase in Asian candidates running and winning in Orange County. Um, on both sides of the aisle, which is sort of an interesting idea, um, not something we've seen in the Latino community or the African-American community, but we have lots of um, Asian Americans winning on the Republican side as well as the Democratic side. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, what what do you see uh, from your community as far as you know who they're voting for, what they want from their candidates, that kind of line? Yeah, um, yeah. So I would say for the Vietnamese community, um, you know, for some reason there's this like perception that like you know say Asians or Vietnamese people are like very apolitical, but then if you really look back at like Vietnamese history and such, right? Vietnamese people are like very very political. And sure. you can definitely see that like during election season. Um, I think, you know, the one thing regarding uh, Vietnamese politicians and so like I've realized we've been doing some focus groups over the past uh, two months is that say the community, like they are also kind of like fed up of uh, kind of like the current crop of politicians that are in office uh, because I think one, one of the, um, participants in the focus group were saying like all these uh, people represent like a very small interest in the community. They don't really represent, you know, the the true voice of the community. Okay. I think um, it speaks to kind of this idea that um, I think over the past few decades, a lot of candidates that run in like the local uh, like city councils or just local yeah. offices, like West there's a whole <laughs> telenovela. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That, that, that we'd spend probably hours just talking about that. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of it has been focused on okay, what are the issues that are happening in, say, Vietnam rather than talking about issues that are impacting, oh, interesting. impacting kind of like folks on their day to day lives. All right. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's always like, you know, people run for city council and you want to talk to them about specific 
stances they have. Um, yeah. they, sometimes if it's like, say, oh, well, what are your stances on like immigration or housing? Sometimes they'll try to use the excuse of like, oh, it's not within my jurisdiction. Sure, uh, right. So I think yeah. a lot of people are wanting we to see a, candidates. We had a candidate who was running for school board who got asked about abortion. And I was like, mm. since when does an elementary school board make yeah, decisions yeah. about abortion? But right. that signal of, will I agree with you on other things? Yeah, yeah. it's it's like, uh, you know, sometimes it's important purpose, like uh, just right. to hear it, right? Um, but I think, yeah, a lot of just... People want to see candidates, you know, take more of a stance on different mm-hmm. issues, but also talk about like you know issues impacting their day-to-day lives. So I think sure. um, you know, one example for Westminster specifically, you know, um Westminster over the past decade have been, you know, I think majority Vietnamese uh, yeah. council. Um, but then uh back in 2019, there was like this huge push by like mobile home residents to try to get uh rent control for uh, mobile homes. Yes. And what happened was like a lot of these organizers, they were thinking like, oh, because we have a Vietnamese led council, right. they will side with us. They'll like right. understand our struggles. But when it came down to it, um, the, the council, they were one afraid to get sued by all these like uh, property owners yeah. because they didn't want to get the rent increase. So they ended up saying, hey, uh, we're not going to take a stance on this. Right. They all take care of your own. Right. Um, so I think it really, um, you know, one, I think the increase of like Asian um, candidates running for office and winning, I think that's great in the sense that, you know, one, it's like representation. I think that's good. But then if these candidates don't really say stand for the right. issues that are like important for people's right. like lives, then I think it's a missed opportunity. And sure. Um, I think, yeah, in terms of, politics uh in orange county i think maybe that's why i wasn't like particularly involved in electoral work uh mm-hmm. in orange county when i was still here back in uh, college because uh, i guess none of the candidates were speaking to any issues that like resonated with me right um and you know people tend especially during election season they'll tend to like, kind of stick with you know the easy messaging that will sure. like, appeal to everyone right um and then, you know, the other thing with the Vietnamese community is like, if you're running in Little Saigon and you want to find like an easy way to attack your opponent, you just red bait them. Um, yeah. Right. And yeah. both sides uh, right. they do it. Right. And right. I think it's just really, you know, it speaks to like, oh, we think the Vietnamese population just cares about communism. So we're right. going to use this. And for, for, for decades, that was true. I mean, even you know, Bob Dornan, who, uh, you know, was really supported by so many for his anti-communist stances um, and, and seen as a, a, you know, a a friend to Asian American voters. Um, And, and that was, he just attacked anybody who ran against him as being pro-communist and it's the same playbook that the Vietnamese candidates use today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Uh. Now, do you see, um, the same sort of changes among younger people and younger voters that th- that's just not their story. They're so far removed from communist regimes being a threat that that's not going to resonate the same way. Yeah. Um, yes, I, I definitely. Okay. So I guess there's two different um, 
theories on this. So one is that like, the younger generation, you know, they're uh, they're far removed from it. So they're you know tend to be a lot more progressive. And they tend right. to think about uh, you know other issues besides say like what's happening in Vietnam. Um, another side is I guess another theory is that like anti-communism is so say, ingrained within kind of like the social sure. fabric of the community that yeah. it comes within like, you know, the cultural, the social, like it's so ingrained that eventually people will still carry those um, yeah. beliefs. But I think when it comes to like politics in general, like here, I think if we talk about say, hey, here are issues around housing or immigration that's like affecting you. Right. People will generally say like, Oh, those are issues that are important to me. Uh, right. So I'm gonna right. vote based on that. Um, right. I think that that's what we've been finding also with like older Vietnamese um, community members. So okay. Like, um, you know, we'll emphasize like uh, you know a lot of Vietnamese community members like are renting, right? So sure. we'll mention about like you know housing conditions. We'll mention about like you know potential of like, rent control. Mm-hmm. And then these things, like, because they resonate with the day-to-day lives of the people. Right. They'll say, like, um, you know, I think other messaging regarding, like, red baiting and such, like, that becomes the, put put that, in the back yeah. burners. Right, yeah. right. Okay, good. Yeah, we're. Uh, it's interesting to see um, the generational difference on um, the word socialism, right? And so I'm wondering if that's going to be replicated. We'll see um, with that, the kind of connotations of communism yeah, um, yeah. but yeah so let's oh yeah go ahead okay uh yeah regarding socialism i think it's really amazing over say the past 10 years or you know with the rise of bernie sanders like i think the word socialism i you know when i was uh like just finishing high school in 2013 i was like that was still like a taboo yes, <laughs> word and yes. all of a sudden now i think it's people are like Oh, socialism. It's right. not a bad word. It's, right. Uh, I think, yeah, uh, I think that's definitely generational. And you can see that in the messaging that, you know, Donald Trump used it as this pejorative, this awful, terrible threat. Um, and certainly folks who are silent generation or baby boomers grew up with that idea of socialism and communism, somewhat combined, not really understanding what socialism actually means. Um, but that term being a scary threat to our economy and our way of life um that you know that is just not true with uh gen z and and millennials and i imagine you know um just that term doesn't have the same meaning to different people anymore and i think you're absolutely right that bernie sanders has has really uh, made that and i think also the comparison of you know just seeing how other countries live and 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 the benefits of some of those social programs that countries provide so and you know are still free yeah yeah still free (laughs) yeah so uh i ask some uh questions at the end of the show so let me uh, get into those uh what's the best advice you've ever gotten um okay so and i think in terms of advice um i this one i i was having difficulty just trying to think of the best sure. advice, um, but I guess n- none that has like really resonated with me. Okay. I, I will provide, I guess, like a general advice that I've been just like kind of give myself over the okay. past like uh, like few years is like um, I think 
for me, just like growing up, you know, like say a Vietnamese family, uh, generally there's like pressures for you to choose a particular like career path. Like sure. whether, you know, I think the tip was like doctor, lawyer, you know, something that will, you know, sure. put you in like good financial standings, right? Uh, but I think, um, you know, one thing that I've always told myself is like, oh, you know, just do what you you love, do what you are passionate about. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, just don't live your life in regret because- I love that. Uh, at the end of the day, like, you know, if say this career path that you're going towards, like in terms of organizing and such, it doesn't work out. I think with kind of the, uh, where we're living, like there's always an opportunity to switch careers or Absolutely. switch yeah. um, right. to something else that, you know, might, yeah. might be more economically like feasible right. or something like that. Right. Um, yeah. so it's, think- it's interesting talking to people, you know, who have careers that people kind of, you know, aspire to. And then you realize like it was all just accidents that led them there and they didn't right. have some grand plan and you go, Oh, it'll all work out. Yeah. Yeah. It'll all work um, out. And then, yeah. I think plus, you know, we have the rest of our lives to like work uh, yeah. like nine to five job. So right. I mean, just as you're young, just do what you enjoy. And yeah. if it works out, if you can build a career out of it, I think um, that's great. If you can't, uh, I think there's other options. To, yeah, absolutely. To find fulfillment. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And 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 those, I don't know, Bob Ross says, you know, happy accidents, right? Yeah. yeah Just yeah. make it a treat. <laughs> <laughs> so what's a book you like to recommend to people? Okay. Um, so one of the books that I like really, really love, and I, uh, if anyone is interested in like Vietnamese history, is um uh, back in 2016, uh, Christopher Gosha. Um and he's like one of the top like Vietnamese history scholars. Um, he wrote uh, more like a general history of Vietnam. So it's called Vietnam, a new history. Okay. Um, it's really great uh, because he basically compiles all the modern scholarship on uh, Vietnam history nice. and then turns it into this like very like easily digestible like narrative. Okay. Um, so think, not an academic book, easily no, 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 digestible. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess like, if you really want to read more about like some of the things sure. he talks about, like the footnotes, a nice like, entry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause like within the, the scholarship right now, um, there's been a shift towards, I guess like a, a Vietnam centric uh, like scholarship. So I think uh, sure. over the past from the seventies onwards to like the early nineties, there's been a lot of like um, scholars have been generally using say uh, American sources and mm-hmm. kind of like newspapers, but then a lot of those scholars don't like they couldn't read Vietnamese, they couldn't right um, those like limitations. Vietnamese. Um, yeah, so now like a lot of the newer scholars, like they know Vietnamese, they know French, sure. they know English, so they're able to dive into these sources and then yeah, think of like a bigger picture or think of Absolutely. the other side, right? Um, so yeah, Chris he, he does a really great job in terms of you know, also hey. in that book talking about like the non-linear approach of Vietnamese history. So like, you know, it wasn't from antiquity until right. present. Right. And there's a lot of like uh, different paths. that A lot Vietnam of windy roads. Yeah, um, absolutely. So that's, yeah, there's the one book I, if anyone wants to learn about Vietnamese history or learn about like Plexi. Good. That's the, What's a hopeful message you can share with listeners? Um, okay. 
see, I think on the same theme of history, I think one of the good quotes that I read recently that I really enjoyed was, let me see, I have it written down. Um, so it's basically, if there is anything that a long view shows us, it is that history is full of oscillations, openings, and closures, then hindsight are neither inevitable nor permanent. Um, I and, love that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I love think it, that. The, so the author was writing this um, about like, you know, in 2008, when like she first started her PhD program and she was saying like, oh, things look really, really hopeful because, you know, um, in our country, in Malaysia, say the authoritarian government was possibly being toppled and then say like the United States, like Obama, and then okay, it seems like the progressive era was starting. And then when her book came out in 2016, you know, things just flipped. Um, and then I think she was feeling like, oh, you know, things feel hopeless right now. Uh, but then I think, you know, in those moments, like, you know, things aren't inevitable, like things aren't going to go bad or things aren't going to go I guess great either. Yeah. But I think there's and they're not permanent. I think that that's really a hopeful message that it's not yeah. permanent. Um, yeah, and then there's opportunities for us to to step in and have our own agency right. to make those changes. Right. Um, so I think um, you know, part part of that is also I feel like uh, if anyone is involved in uh politics, I think organizing is really key in terms of you know mobilizing our communities, mobilizing people. You know, not just for elections, but also, you know, in between elections, right. really building their, that power so right. they can create that long-lasting change. Yeah, building that power. I love that idea. Yeah. So who should we talk to next? Uh, highly recommend the executive director for Viet Rise, Tracy okay. Law. Um, I think she's one of the... One of the few people that, like, really, really inspire me because... I love yeah, that. We, you know, Tracy, you know, started Viet Rise back in 2018, you know, led it on her own and then has been kind of, I think, so we're all, basically everyone at Viet Rise is about the same age. Uh, and we're kind of just taking on kind of like the nonprofit industrial complex. Right, uh, right. Trying to organize, say, within the news community that has traditionally been like very you know, depending on your age, that is, you know, you're the leader. Uh, right. But then us now, like, you know, we're really ta- tackling all these different yeah. uh, areas that traditionally right. haven't had, like, young people or... Uh, yeah, and that's what really gives me hope about, you know, millennials and Gen Z coming into these organizations and these spaces of, you know, disrupting, which isn't always easy, um, but but really reimagining and questioning a lot of the, the the structures that have occurred before that have happened. And and I think that there's some really good work to be done in, in community organizing with that and the nonprofits, especially. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm super hopeful that like, you know, in the next five, 10 years, like we're able to build like a very strong infrastructure that like, yeah. organizing can continue. Absolutely. No, I think um, it's key. And then, yeah, because I feel like when I was, uh, like, before I, I transferred, um, like there wasn't, like, an organizing space um, right. that right. was really thriving in Orange County. And Absolutely. Hopefully we can create that space and right. uh, keep building. 
Yeah. And, and I think it really matches the idea of doing meaningful work. Yeah. Right. That's, we want to have meaning in our lives. And I, and I think that that's a really great part about working in nonprofits and politics is seeing the changes happen. So, well, thank you. Thank you for spending some time with me and thanks to the listeners for tuning in to Slice of Orange.